0: Утром не ждет меня работа. Я давно на пенсии сижу. Очень мне охота. Только как ума не приложу. Ну разве это много? Хочу, мой портрет захемчев и строго смотрел за всех
1: Howdy, folks! Welcome to another episode of the Russia Guy. Today I'm welcoming back Eric Toller from Bellingcat which, together with The Insider, has just released a new report that contains some pretty amazing revelations about the downing of Malaysia Airlines Flight 17 over eastern Ukraine almost four years ago. All 298 people on board that plane were killed, and Bellingcat has led the way in open-source intelligence gathering when it comes to tracing this back to Russia, and Eric has been one of the group's key researchers. So what are you going to learn about on today's episode of The Russia Guy? Eric explained the mystery behind Oleg Ivanikov, the Russian military officer, whose voice we now know appears in radio transmissions intercepted by the Ukrainian authorities immediately after the MH17 disaster. Eric explained how Bellingcat and the Insider tracked him down and built its evidence, which it turns out was quite a marvelous blend of Bellingcat's trademark open-source intelligence work and shoe-leather journalism by reporters from the Insider. If you want to know more about this impressive collaboration, here's the interview. Yeah, so could you maybe break down in broad strokes, like what what is it that uh, Bellingcat has exposed today? Because you know, you guys have released so much information about MH17 and the the shooting down of that plane, and there's just been so much information, and Bellingcat's been leading the way. It seems like the the joint investigative team comes out with something like months after Bellingcat's already made it apparent. And so, what today? What today? What's the bombshell today exactly?
0: Yeah, um, like you mentioned, it's it's hard to follow the twists and turns. And most normal people, the ninety nine point nine percent of people who aren't um, freaks like me who follow every twist and turn of this um, story, it's kind of hard to keep it all straight sometimes. Um, but in general, uh, back uh, a day after the shootdown, there were a bunch of phone calls that were published by the Ukrainians, and later on, additional phone calls from the. Um, Dutch-led criminal investigation into MH17 because the Dutch were put in charge of doing this uh, because the plurality or majority, I can't remember which, of the victims on the plane were Dutch. So they got – they're footing the bill for (laughs) doing the majority of the criminal investigation. Um, They published um, a series of phone calls, five phone calls back in September 2016. And there are two guys um, who are important on this. There's a guy named Delphine, or The Dolphin, a very intimidating um, call sign, um, whose, whose name was Gleif um, Jodovic, and another guy named Andrei Ivanovich, who went by um, Arion, supposedly, or Ryan. Um, and the JIT, the Dutch Investigation they this is a call for witnesses. They're at This is their first ever real big press conference. So they called for the help of the public to identify these two people because they were clearly important enough. Um... That they were you know major figures or suspects in the downing of the March 17, but they you know apparently had some kind of dead end in trying to investigate them so they called for the public to help. Um, a few months ago um, we worked with um, the Insider, which is a Moscow-based publication um, headed up by Roman Brokhotov, who you may know as a longtime political activist and also he has a famous dad is a f- uh, philosopher Alexander Dobrykotov. Um And uh, we worked with him a few months ago to identify the first guy, the dolphin, um, who was uh Fedorovich Chakchov, who was a semi retired um general. He's kind of this almost like bumbling guy who older guy who um now runs a or is head of a advisory board with in Yekaterinburg for a military academy. And he was he only lasted about two months in Ukraine before he was clearly not doing kind of too old and incompetent for the job, so he got sent away after about two
1: months. Um but was that typical for the Russians that did did go there.
0: Yeah, usually people have a little bit longer lifespan than a month or two, like Chuck Chauve did. But he, if you listen to him in the calls, he kind of is a little bit out. Like he doesn't, for example, uh, he doesn't know like where some of the geographical markers are. There in one of these calls, uh, Andrei Ivanovich, the guy who I'll be talking about later today, um, and Nikolai Fedorovich are talking with one another, and he can't. Um, kind of, he doesn't know where Luhansk airport is, right? He has to be corrected because he's kind of, he's in like, I think his early 70s. So he doesn't really know the area super well. Um, chove we identified him, um, largely based off of both the voice samples because we got um, Roman, he, um, he called him and pretended like he was doing a um, investigation into this military academy that he runs. And he's like, you know, I'm interested in this military academy. Can you tell me about it? And this guy just went on for half an hour talking about, you know, how they do all these things, helping the youth of Russia and all this stuff. And then we got the voice analysis and we sent it to a couple of um, forensic voice analysis labs. One in Chicago, or sorry, one in Denver and one in Lithuania. And they you know, determined, yes, this is the same guy, same voice. So that's in the past. Um, this new investigation that we just published today. Um, again, we worked with um, the insider and in Roman um And we determined the other guy, this Andrei Ivanovich, the guy who seemed a little bit more competent and uh, aware of what was going on. And there have always been rumors that there was this guy named Andrei Ivanovich. No um, one, no one knew, no one knew who exactly who he was. Everyone just knew it was this guy named Andrei Ivanovich who, um, supposedly, with the GRU, which is Russian uh, military intelligence. So the FSB is kind of in one intelligence service, and the GRU is the military intelligence service.
1: And there's the SVR too, right?
0: And the SVR, which is like the foreign, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they're mm-hmm. they're
1: all yeah. I love initialisms, yeah.
0: Yeah, and sometimes they fight each other a little bit and all that. So there's <laughs> all the internal struggles with that. But more or less, he, supposedly the GRU's man in Luhansk is this Andrei Ivanovich. He um, was equal to, actually not equal to, he was actually kind of above Igor Platnitsky, who's the former defense minister of the so called Luhansk People's Republic in um, Luhansk. And he actually, uh, according to some certain reports, he actually talked with Serkov. This is Andrei Ivanovich, talked with Vlasov Serkov, which is the. Putin's aide, who's kind of the point man who, in eastern Ukraine who speaks with Kurd Volker and Newland and all them, um, he told Surkov, you know, who should be in charge, right? And Plotnitsky, he recommended Plotnitsky, and um, Plotnitsky was made leader, and then that apparently was a bad decision because Plotnitsky got um, outed in a coup um, a few months ago um, in, in the LNR. So anyways, we figured out who this guy was, who this mysterious Andrei Ivanovich is. His name is Aliag um, um, Vladimirovich Ivanikov. He is a fifty-year-old um, GRU um, officer. We don't know exactly what his military rank is. It could be colonel, as low as colonel, as high as lieutenant major general, because there are varying reports. And a big reason why we know who he is is because he previously worked as the Minister of Defense in South Ossetia from 2006 to 2008, which was very shocking for us because, I mean, the defense minister of a country, right? It should be a very public, you know, thing. But we looked and looked and looked. We talked to some Georgians and talked to everyone we could figure out and looked at every source we could for at least one photograph, one video, one audio recording, one interview, anything with this guy who – his name was – he worked under the name Andrei Ivanovich Laptev when he was in Ossetia. And there's nothing, nothing at all. So there'd be these meetings with all these government ministers, and supposedly Laptop would be there. We would look through, and every single person would be there except for Laptev because they purposely published photographs that did not show this Laptop guy.
1: So he's his like, he's had a legacy for a while then of being kind of under the radar?
0: Yeah, he's a GRU officer, right? You know, he's a foreign officer working um, undercover under uh, the pseudonym of Andrei Ivanovich um, Laptev. I
1: see. So he's like, actually, yeah, so he's assuming other identities... In public offices of, break- of breakaway republics?
0: Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of uh, one of the most interesting things that's reported. I mean, we, I guess you could say we outed him or like un- unveiled him or whatever the term is for his foreign officials
1: or foreign um, spies. And you're not certain that he's a colonel general. That's like a.
0: Yeah, it depends. We saw some. Cer- uh, we know he's at least a colonel, but the thing is, the thing that makes this even more confusing is Andrei Loptev, is, which is his persona. Was given who was supposedly publicly given the rank of major general. Okay, but was it Laptev who had the rank, or was it Uvannikov, the real guy? Right? Uh, and later on, um, um, after he, as Laptev, stepped down in two thousand eight, um, we found there's a there's a semi famous human rights defender, um, from Russia, who talked about how Andrei Laptev is now. Leaving the, you know, uh, Minister of Defense in South Ossetia and he's going to be heading up a new think think tank called like the Russia Caucus Center or something like that. I can't remember the exact name of it. Um, And that exact same um, think tank, you know, think tank, whatever. Um, was Oleg Ivanov um, Ivanov was named the head of this new newly established think tank in South Ossetia directly after this Laptev stepped down. So that was one of the clearest indications Laptev and Ivanov guy are the same one.
1: And so does that indicate that he left the GRU because now he's doing private stuff or is this still GRU? Yeah, it's a good
0: question. Uh, but this. Um,
1: This think tank, actually, someone um,
0: in this same think tank was um, arrested in Poland for spying (laughs) for Russia. So it is a think tank with uh, clearly some close ties to Russian security services. Um, And uh, as I'll get to some other stuff later on, we think he's still um, operating in there at least until 2017, if not. Actually, we think right now, obviously. Um, and we spoke to some people who were in South Ossetia um, while Laptev slash Ivanka was there. We showed them, the, you know, Ivanka's picture. We, sh- we played him his voice, and they said, oh, yeah, that's him, you know.
1: That's, that's our old defense that, that's, minister. Uh, that's Laptev. <laughs> yeah, that's my that's old buddy. Uh, so we talked,
0: to, for example, Laptev, he, he retired from public life to a degree in 20, um, 2008 after he um, stepped down for, as defense minister, but for some reason he reappeared in 2012 when he endorsed... Um, the South Ossetian presidential candidate David something, sort of asked, I can't remember his name, and um, the insider they actually called this guy and they asked him you know about Lopdim and more or less he confirmed like oh yeah that's him you know that's that's the guy's voice a very high voice because has a very distinct very very high voice. Um, Roman, what in the we had a press conference today, and he said it was Jinsky Golis, a feminine voice. <laughs> it's a very, very high voice. And there's a while where people actually thought that this was some weird provocation. They thought it was a woman speaking. Um, I, I figured it was a guy, but I, you know, I haven't heard as much Russian. Right. Other people,
1: and has had, have you done the, um, the forensic voice analysis on, on that, on his voice as well? Like you,
0: that's a good question. We weren't able to with his voice, but we did get a sample of it. So what we did was, um, so this guy, his name, the guy that the whole we're talking about here, his name is um, Oleg um, Ivanikov, and he lives in Moscow. He's, you know, he's Laptov, he's um, Orion, you know, the guy in Ukraine and former defense minister of South Ossetia. So we can't just straight call him um, because he probably wouldn't answer and he wouldn't talk to us, right? So what we did was we there's another um Oleg Ivanikov in Moscow he he runs some like NGO and he's fairly Famous and often quoted in media, talking about like, you know, um, fair elections and elections monitoring and stuff like that. He's kind of the guy who keeps foreign monitors out, out of the elections in Moscow and elsewhere. Um, he runs the think tank. So he's fairly famous and is, has a lot more money and stuff than Yvonnekov probably does. And so we called, um, using a spoofer to make it look like it was actually like a local number calling. We called Yvonnekov, um and asked, you know, in Russian, obviously, it was a Russian speaker, did all this um and i was this um and whatever the guy's patronymic it's not it is a different patronymic and the guy said oh no no that's not me you know i wish i was him but you know maybe one day i'll be you know that famous or that rich or whatever <laughs> and then right and then hung up so but that was enough of a voice sample to clear like he has the exact same i mean if if um i'm not sure maybe in your podcast you can play over the guy's voice sample but it's extremely uh it's a very high voice it's very distinct and it's something that doesn't replicate itself often
1: but this one, but you didn't submit this, this one did not get voice analysis? This one wasn't long enough for an actual real forensic analysis. They need to get at least oh, 30 seconds to minute. Like a, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So, I mean, we could put it through their system, but, you know, they're, you know, stuffy scientists who want, you know, they have standards, I guess. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. I So see. Uh-huh. They, they wanted 30 <laughs> seconds to a minute or something like that, at least. We didn't quite get to... It was kind of like when the movies, you know, where they're on the phone with the people and they're like, right. we have to get him yeah, on for ten more them seconds down. to track him. Yeah, it was kind of like right. that, but he hung up before we could get along.
1: Oh, man. Well, maybe in like a future iteration of this podcast, we'll be able to do like live prank calls and we can... We can call Ivanikov and see if we can't get him to stay in line for longer. Yeah,
0: we're in competition <laughs> with the Franksters who pretend to be the political people, right?
1: Uh, right, yeah, exactly. Volvin Vul- and Alexis are Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: But our big thing with this is, of course, the Minister of Defense and Foreign Affairs who said, you know, oh, this is wrong, this guy, you know, everything we say is fake or whatever. But, I mean, it's such a simple thing. If, if we were wrong, you know, if we were mistaken about Ivanikov being this guy, they should just, you know, put a microphone in front of him. Like, send VST or Pyrrhic Canal or RT or someone out to this Ivanikov guy. And just have to think Say three sentences, right? Because as soon as he opens his mouth, it's extremely clear. This guy is the, he has the same mix, very distinct voice. The one
1: that was intercepted by the Ukrainians in yeah, 2014.
0: Exactly. Yeah, 2014, yeah. yeah.
1: I, wa- I wanted to ask this business with the address for when he ordered yeah. an... Elevation training mask.
0: So that's one of the ways we know that he's probably still with the GRU. Uh, well, one other way we know that the GRU is we actually called him this morning because we held a press conference at The Hague very um, aptly um, because Elliot, the guy ahead of us, uh, our guys was there today. for Because the, the, yesterday the Dutch Investigation held a press conference so we figured we'd piggyback on him and hold our around the day after. Um, and we called uh, the guy, his home number again and his wife answered and we asked, you know, is Olig Lidia there? And he said, she said, oh, no, he's um, he's gone for a month, month and a half. I guess, where's he at? And he said, oh, well, um, I don't even know. I'm not allowed to know where these places he goes. So he's off on assignment somewhere right now. Uh-huh. Um, and another thing.
1: Yeah, just a, another exactly, top secret yeah. He's probably,
0: uh, If I were to guess, he's probably either in Syria or Ukraine because another thing we know from an interview that was published on Redis, which is like a pro-government-ish um, news site um, that was published a couple weeks ago, a former Wagner Fighter gave this long interview and they talked about how in uh, while he was you know in Luhansk and Donetsk whatever, a guy named Andrei Ivanovich was the one who they actually reported to like they ignored Platonitsky the so-called defense minister of the LNR and later leader of the LNR and just listened to this guy named Andrei Ivanovich who really who actually ran and coordinated things the Wagner stuff in Ukraine so maybe he's off you know running out the Wagner down in Syria right now for all I know so we'll see
1: why did these guys why do, why why are the mercenaries giving interviews about this in the first place? Like, why isn't everyone That's just signing question. NDAs or, or something?
0: You'd think, but this – I mean, you—I mean, a lot of times we assume that these people are far more competent than they really are. I mean, it's – as the thing you mentioned with the elevation mask earlier, the reason – one of the ways we found uh, information about um, Ivanikov is he used his real phone number and his name, Aliag. He didn't put Ivanikov, but he put Alleg and his phone number, which was – we found cross-referenced in other databases – um, where he put in an order with I think like, pakupki.ru or some some site um, that does um, orders and to the courier he put the address uh, I think it was 78 uh, something Sipova uh, yeah something like that and uh, but someone from the Insider actually went there because you know it's, it's in Moscow and they went to that and they went down the street they walked down or drove down or whatever and it ended at 22 the house number only goes up to 22 but it was left to the 78 or 76 on this security order and they're confused like what did they deliver it to like some like netherworld like what's going on and they mm-hmm. so kept walking down this, yeah exactly <laughs> they kept walking down the street and it's one of those roads that kind of like morphs into a different street with a different name like the name the name of the it's more or less the same road but the name of the road changes after it passes a certain intersection and it keeps on going down to Khrushchevska, uh, which is 76 or 78, which is the headquarters of the GRU. So, uh, but, you know, they they walked down, they looked up, and like, oh my god, this is the GRU headquarters <laughs> at the address. I assume
1: you learned the same lesson that the delivery person had to learn,
0: <laughs> yeah, probably they probably had the same thing we did, yeah, yeah, because I mean, if it makes sense if you're actually there and you're trying to figure out where 76 is, I and mean, you naturally go to this. Um, and anyways, what happened was this defunct, now defunct site, pakupki.ru, whatever, I can't remember the URL off the top of my head. Um, it, uh, it's defunct now, and somehow a bunch of the information got leaked. Like, I think it was like a MySQL database or something that, like, once the web programmers stopped working, everything just went to hell, and, you know, you could find the info from it. And this, I don't think this is supposed to ever be published, but this was in the MySQL database of all of the um, orders they had received from the, the guy Aliag and, and, and directions to the courier, which is to take it to this address, which kind of semi-exists, and they could figure out once they're actually on the ground. They delivered like a elevation training mask, like a thing you use in high elevation. For I guess the GRU needs it for something or another. This Why? was in, or how did you even find September 2017 too? So uh-huh. very
1: And how did you even find something like this? Like you've got the phone number. Can is this something? I don't know if you're even able to reveal this, but like, is can you Google for a phone number and find a leaked? You know, online stores yeah, yeah, database. Yeah, yeah. Basically, really okay.
0: You, some create. I mean, we use Yandex. So Yandex actually had better stuff usually than Google for this because Yandex, had, you know, puts focuses in different size. But there are a million different. um Sites out there that have uh, addresses and phone numbers and names. Sometimes they're correct, sometimes they're half correct, and so on. That's a Um, a comforting thought.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Um,
0: Because, I mean, I don't know if it's more of a, I'm sure in the US it's similar, but there are a bunch of, uh, you know, if I type in my name.
1: Yeah, arrest records and previous addresses, yes, credit scores.
0: (laughs) Some of these addresses are correct, and sometimes they'll be close, and sometimes they're not so close because a lot of times this information gets sold to like advertisers and stuff, right? So, I don't know exactly how it works with Russia, but maybe they have a similar situation to where this information gets um, scooped up and then. um
1: And what about this? uh, One of the databases that you linked the phone, uh, Ivanikov's phone number to. You found it listed as Andre Ivanovich Gru at Husky or something like that, or?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's a bit of a story if you don't mind me going on rambling for about two or three minutes. No, no, no let's have so it. So there there are these sites. Um, it's kind of like a Cambridge Analytica situation, to where they're like pulling lots of information from you, and you probably don't know it. Um, so there are these sites. I think True is one, and there's a few others. I can't remember the top of my head. And there are things that, like, you know, help you identify people who are calling you. So it's like a caller ID thing, but it's like a deep caller ID, right? So um, the idea is it's almost crowdsourced about, like, who these people are. If you get called, and it would pull information from other phones um, who have that person in their contact list. So true callers, who is truly calling me, right? So, for example, you install this app on your phone, and it either knowingly or unknowingly... Um, to the user, it'll kind of vacuum up the contact information in their phone book, like on their personal phone. And so, and then it has a database of all these phone numbers and also what The name is assigned to by the person in the contact list. So, for example, if you meet someone at a party and you just remember their name is like John and maybe your friend, I don't know, uh, Natasha introduced you to John, you say, um, John, comma, Natasha party, right? So you can remember the next day, you know, if you had too much to drink or whatever, who this person is. So, this, you get this a lot of times you look at these um, contact, um, Listen, on these sites, you see some things that make perfect sense, like name, first name, last name, whatever. And, you know, like you have a normal person. But then you also have these kind of makeshift, like hastily entered contact information just to help the person remember who this person is they met at some event or whatever. So Andrey Ivanovich um, GRU o husky, um, which means "from husky, like the dog, husky. At uh, first we were confused by this. Andre Ivanovich GRU is clear. Right, because the guy's name is Andre Ivanovich, as we knew, and GRU, well, you know, it's military intelligence. But from Husky, we either meant um, he's from um, – the information came from – Ot can be either like he's from this group or the information came from, like Ot, from a person or from a group. So um, at first we, we were wrong. This is not correct. But we thought that Husky was in reference to this rapper, the St. Petersburg-based rapper named Husky. Who, um, who was kind of was embarrassed a while ago because he like during I think like he was shooting like a music video and he accidentally shot like shot himself in the foot or something during the video with a gun. It was some minor scandal, but the important part is this husky rapper guy is friends with um I think Zahar Plyepin, who is the former you know he's an author, very famous writer, author, actually pretty talented writer who also is now a commander of a military group in Donetsky. They There's this really fancy hotel that they have requisitioned um, and now he uses it as his base of operations because it's pretty nice life. You know. um, so we figured that, you know, and this Husky guy also came to Donetsk and he put on a concert. Um, so we were thinking like maybe someone met Husky the rapper and then got the information from this Andre Ivanovich from him, right? Oh, no, from Husky. Turns out it's more likely um, there's a, a reconnaissance, like, I don't know, special intelligence brigade in Dunia. It's called Husky. Like, the name of the group is called Husky. Um, so it's, like, their nickname, right? So, um, yeah, we think it's most likely. Maybe it's the rapper, but more, much more likely um, this Husky, you know, reconnaissance group, um, someone from that group gave whoever up, whoever put this app on their phone and it scooped up their information, They talked to somebody from this Husky group and gave them the contact info for Andre Ivanovich Gru, and then we then used that. So, and this same number was was also registered to someone named who also put in it as um, Ivanikov, which then led us to it's a concrete family name,
1: which we could then make the connection for. And so, people are actually, I mean, people people are meeting this person, this this uh, Ivanikov guy. They're being told to their face, assumedly that he's GRU and then they're writing it down in their address book.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because this is such a, again, um, I don't know, uh, <laughs> to, in one area, very unprofessional way things operate, but also very uh, hectic and you know predictable because this whole thing with DNR and LNR is just such a mess, right? So you have... Actual active Russian um, soldiers, but they usually only really come in during the heights. Um, You know, Ilovaisk in August 2014 and Debaltova in February 2015. And for the most part, the majority of the actual Russian servicemen are specialists, you know, people who specialize in, you know, I don't know, radar jamming or drone operations and stuff. Um, You have those guys, and then you have the actual legitimate separatist locals, which may or may not be a majority of the forces in DNR LNR. And then you have a bunch of, a whole bunch of mercenaries. Some of them are like Wagner, you know, very like kind of semi organized groups. And some are just people come from, you know, Brazil and, you know, Serbia and all over. So you have all these people meeting together and trying to, you know, if someone just leaves this group, I mean, they can just go off, they can just walk across the border the next day and just go and then give interviews the next day if they wanted to. Um. So it's it's this big mess, and so you're naturally going to have some leaks and some strange incidents. like for example, the former Wagner guy giving the interview they read us um a few, like a few weeks ago, or somebody putting information into a, their phone and then installing Truecaller on their phone and then having information scooped up, you know, kind of um, Cambridge Analytica style. Then it gets put into put online. So, because this whole stupid war is just such a mess and hodgepodge between you know legitimate locals to Russian active servicemen to semi you know people who are maybe supported and maybe go through Russian bases but aren't actually enlisted enlisted in the Russian military. Um, It's just this big mess. And so because of that, you have all sorts of information being leaked online, which is what we um, kind of exploited.
1: And so now that you've identified, you know, presumably the people in this call from 2014 intercepted by the Ukrainian military or, you know, uh, national security forces, what's the confidence that you've identified people who played a key role in the MH17 downing?
0: Yeah, that's the real question—is exactly what the chain of command and all that is. So a while ago, back in 2016-ish, if I recall correctly, we identified the guy named um, Dubinsky, Sergey Dubinsky, who was um, Gürkin or you know Strelkov, Igor Gürkin's um, head of intelligence. And this is the guy who, in the phone calls, is you know organizing, you know, like send the truck there, send the truck there. You know, I'll I'll get the, these soldiers to escort this convoy. You know, he's doing logistical stuff. Um, he, you know, he wasn't actually in the Russian military. He was kind of fr- almost freelancing on his own. Um, and then you like, have guys kind of a
1: glorified, like yeah, reenactor, too, right? He was exactly, Sort of a, stra- yeah, a strange yeah. character.
0: These people all are. I mean, half the people. of them... I mean, the people who went in there on their own are. I mean, Gherkin, as people know, was obsessed with like war reenactments and like he would do like kind of like cosplay almost for like you know. In the U.S., we have some war reenactors there. They have World War One and Russian Civil War. He he was always a white Russia, by the way, um, in the um, Civil, um, Civil War reenactments, or Russian Civil War reenactments. Um, and Dubinsky is a guy who is former GRU. Um, I think he was in Chechnya. And he previously served with Gherkin in, um, I think, Chechnya in Afghanistan. Maybe. I don't think Gherkin was ever in Afghanistan, but Dubinsky was. So we know this guy, but, you know, he's living the good life in Rostov right now. He's probably bored out of his mind. And Rostov, this Dubinsky guy, just hanging out, not really doing anything, probably will never leave the country again. And then you have, like, Chokchov, who was a semi-retired guy who was, like, on the advisory board of a military academy, who was kind of the ministry of defenses guy on the ground in Krasnodon, not too uh, too far from the um, Russia-Ukraine border. And then you have the GRU's guy, who is the guy we identified today, um, Ivonikov. So, you know, that's all well and good to know who the organizers are, but the question that the detection investigators have to deal with, which is much more difficult, and I don't really envy them, is to figure out who actually was, um, you know, the guy in the cabin, right? The guys who are actually operating the weapon and all that. I mean, the chain of command, we've basically figured out um, between Gerkin being the Minister of Defense and DNR at the time, um, the guy, who's being the GRU's guy at the time, Chakchov or the dolphin, who was kind of the Ministry of Defense's guy there, um, but figuring out who the actual um, soldiers or fighters or whatever who were operating, like physically, like pressing the button, you know, looking at the radar screen, that's much more difficult because there really isn't any info out there. We suspect they probably may or may not be actually, actually Russian soldiers from Kursk, the 53rd Brigade from Kursk, because they're the ones who supplied the weapon, so it makes sense that they would send a crew with it. But, I mean, there isn't really any concrete evidence for that outside of a, another call that the Dutch um, investigation published that talks about how the how the crew that they had got lost because they didn't really know the area very well. So they had to... They were like, if they got lost, they had to send a car to pick them up at, like, at a gas station after they were wandering around by themselves like two hours after the shoot-down. So this... You know, when we think about this Russian military operations, we always think about like how, you know, oh, it's this huge, you know, it's the second or third biggest military in the world. They're so competent and all that stuff. But like they were, you know, literally had some soldiers wandering around looking for a gas station to call their buddies who they like got like split up during their mad dash um, out of the town. So, you know, it, it's it's a mess um, in every way, which is why it's possible to do a lot of this research on online stuff is because... With such a mess, there are just these random leaks of information and like zero operational security.
1: I see, and this is all on top of the fact that presumably shooting down the MH17 was a oh, mistake. Yeah, that was the sorts. biggest did, mistake of all. Yeah. Right, they thought it was a military yeah. aircraft. I assume. Yeah, exactly.
0: Right? I mean, if you want to talk about mistakes, I mean, leaving someone behind at a gas station is um, one one millionth of shooting down a plane with two hundred ninety-eight people in it, right? So I mean, yeah, I mean, this is just a complete mess, and that's I mean, if
1: but presumably they intended to shoot down a plane, they just thought it was yeah, a military yeah, yeah, aircraft. Yeah.
0: They just, I mean, they they probably just, um, I don't know exactly what what was going through their minds at the time. That, but you know, two days before on July fifteenth, two days before the MH17 shootdown, um, a Ukrainian fighter jet um, tried to bomb a Ukraine, tried to bomb a separatist base, but they missed. And they hit an apartment building and they killed twelve civilians. I see. And this happened just like maybe two or three miles away from the launch site where they fired the missile from. So clearly these people, you know, in the back of their mind, you know, two days ago, you know, they they bombed us and killed twelve tried to bomb us, but they missed, hit, and killed twelve civilians. And when they had this, the bulk, this, you know, this missile launcher they used to shoot down the plane, when the, you can detect the radar, right? You can detect it. So they're probably rushing as fast as they could to do this before the Ukrainians could detect them and, you know, bomb them or whatever. Um, so they probably were just, panicked. Panicked. I mean, again, you, they're panicked. They were just, again, how many people actually have um experience doing this in real life, right? You can go through as many trainings as you can, but when you're actually in the situation, it becomes a little bit um rougher. So... Yeah, this is I mean, that's one of the reasons why I wish it'll never happen. But if Russia had just from the day one just said it was a mistake, um we're sorry, we'll pay the you know, damages and all that stuff, this whole thing would have been over, they would have avoided a lot of sanctions, but they've dug the hole so deep at this point it seems impossible for them to get out.
1: Do you think they'll ever fess up or or no at this point probably they're not. just yeah. probably
0: not. The best we'll get is kind of a l like a rogue actor um claim. Mm. Like Um, Yeah, they shot—you know, it happened, but we we don't know what happened. You know, this—Ivonikov—I do know, in their response today, the Ministry of Defense put out a statement today to, I think, Interfox um, about our report, and they said that these guys that we identified, meaning Dolphin—you know, the Dolphin and Orion, you know, Ivanikov and Chuck they said that these guys were long ago um, no longer in the Ministry of Defense. So, which was kind of a mistake on their point because they admitted that this Ivanov guy was in the Ministry of Defense because he officially wasn't, because he was an undercover GRU officer. So that was kind of a um, slip up on their. It's a Valerie
1: play moment, maybe. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, but they, I don't, who knows what they'll do in the future, but they laid the ground for at least possibly going for like a rogue actor theory in the future. And honestly, if they had gone this from day one, I mean, obviously I would like to see, you know, true justice dealt and, you know, all that stuff. But if from the beginning they had just said this was a mistake, the separatists did it, I don't know how that weapon got over there, but, you know, whatever. And, you know, we'll shut down our support or whatever. Then, again, they would have avoided God knows how many sanctions their economy would probably be doing better and they would be in better shape. But... I don't know Pride cometh before the fall, I guess, and they couldn't couldn't admit it and the investigation was i mean it was very it took a lot of time and a lot of work, but um for all the you know digging you're doing all the kind of the internet searching and stalking whatever we're doing it was also a lot of like really hardcore um journalism that was being done by places by people like um Roman at the insider you know, calling, you know, calling this GRU officer at his home, right? <laughs> Which is very, I mean, I, I, a little bit more guts than I have. And, t- you know, calling some of these people in South Ossetia and actually doing some real, like, shoe leather Germanism, um, Germanism, journalism. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, all the open source online stuff is very flashy and fun. But, I mean, no, none of this could have been done with the actual Russian investigators on the ground doing um, work. And it's very brave because, you know, it's, I mean, imagine in the United States if you unmask a CIA officer who was working in, you know, who, giving away, um, you know, positions in Yemen that led to, you know, a civilian, you know, the, for example, the wedding in Yemen that was bombed um, by the Saudis that killed all those people. If, if someone unmasked a CIA official who the ones who did that, right, you could probably go to jail for that in the United States for doing that. So just imagine about doing the same thing in Russia.
1: Are, are the, the, the crew from the insider at all concerned about, you know, re- repercussions like that?
0: Oh, they always are, but right now, um, I think, I mean, it's kind of after the fact. I mean, if they, if somehow the Russian...
1: I guess the Russians would have to confess to the to their involvement if they were to prosecute. Exactly,
0: yeah. Yeah, but, and also, I mean, I think that they're going to be fine for a while, but after the World Cup, um, hopefully they'll be okay because then... Um, I know I was talking to Ramon, and uh, after the World Cup, repressions could become a little stronger. Because I mean, look what happened during the Olympics in Sochi. You know, they were. I think it was um, Nadia and Alyokina were released. I think right before, and so was Khodorkovsky. Um But then right afterwards, you know, cream is cream. Notch right afterwards, right? So, or even during it. So I mean, yeah. I mean, after the World Cup, who knows what's going to happen? But you know, they. I hopefully they'll be safe at least until then, and after then, we'll
1: you know bust more journalists. And that's my interview with Eric Toller, the leader of Bellingcat's team on Eurasia and Eastern Europe. To read Bellingcat's new report on Oleg Ivanov, follow the hyperlink in the description of this episode, where you can also find a link to Eric's Twitter page, at Eric Toller. If you're at all interested in what's possible with open source intelligence research in Eastern Ukraine, you definitely want to be following Eric on Twitter. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a contribution at patreon.com backslash Kevin Rothrock. No pledge is too small or too large. Many thanks to all the listeners already pledging. Your assistance helps me pay for the audio recording and hosting expenses of this podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time. Завтра дальняя дорога Выпадает королю У него денежонок много А я денежки люблю Ой-ля-ля, ой-ля-ля